It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March first, two thousand and twelve. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here as usual. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Uh, we always look forward to being together with our Internet Bible Study group. We do, every Thursday night, and we're glad that you're here. You may be listening live, and if you are, we're glad that you're here, and we look forward to your participation at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, and the chat room to the right of your viewing window. And if you're listening to us in the archive version and you're not listening to us live, we welcome you as well. We're glad that you're listening, and we would welcome your comments as well on a subject that will probably uh, you know, uh, generate a lot of feedback. We hope that it will. You know, Jay, I was telling somebody uh, just last week that we get most of our feedback now via the chat room. Started out, we yes. got a lot of feedback by email. Yeah. We, we do periodically get phone calls, but by far and away, our biggest feedback is in the chat room. Yeah, you're not, you're, you're, you very rarely get any emails during the program. And so you really need to be in the chat room. If you're not in there, oh, that's right. if, you're not, uh, if you don't get yourself an identity in the chat room, you're missing out. So <laughs> join in the chat room. Oh. It's easy. It's free. You don't even have to give your your actual name. You can give yourself a, a pseudonym, a pen name, uh, just so we can kind of identify one one person from another who's contributing in the chat. Room. I don't know how you do that, but that one listener there has a Bible as his icon there beside his name. That's pretty interesting. That's a good. Uh, well, anyways, uh, the subject for tonight, uh, you want to talk about something that we've probably wait not... Wait a minute, we're not getting out. No, well... We're not getting out. We're well, getting out, Jeff? I think we're getting out. Sounds like we're getting out. Anybody else in the chat room hearing us? Okay. Now, uh, we want to talk about uh, a subject that uh, we have talked about, uh, maybe here and there, but not a whole subject on, a whole program on this subject tonight. Yeah, we want to talk about the plan of salvation. We've talked about what one must do to be saved a lot from a lot of different uh, standpoints, uh, but we've never had a whole program, Jacob, where we just talked about the gospel plan of salvation. I thought that was probably negligent on our part and that we should probably correct that by spending a, a whole episode talking about the plan of salvation. What must one do to be saved? There's really not any more important subject in all the world than that. And uh, to whatever degree we've neglected teaching on that, we're, we're sorry. We're going to try to correct that at least as much as we can in one program tonight. A simple subject. The scriptures are not complicated in discussing what we must do in order to be right with God. But it is probably one of the most debated and controversial subjects that you could uh, discuss today, in spite of the simplicity of the scriptures on the subject. Jacob, earlier today to our update list, we sent out our noon update, or short, shortly after noon update, uh, as see, it looks like it went out at 1247 today. Uh, we try to let people know what we're going to be talking about, start getting your feedback as to some questions we want to discuss. So earlier today, and by the way, get on that update list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put, add me to the list in your subject line. But in that email today, we just, real simple questions today. Yeah, they were uh, simple. For each step in the plan of salvation, one, state the truth from the Scripture, and two, explain any false doctrines that you know are being taught relative to that point in God's plan of salvation. Okay. Right. And so uh, uh, that's real simple. So we're just going to walk our way through it. You know, a lot of times, Jacob, when we talk about the plan of salvation, we hold up the fingers in one hand, yeah. and each finger stands for a point in the plan. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Right. And you almost really need to add a, a hold up a sixth finger because yeah. after one becomes a Christian by being baptized into Christ, then you have to continue to be faithful. Okay. And so really there's six things that we want to talk about tonight. And they're all incredibly important. And unfortunately, they are all things that people have corrupted and taught false doctrine concerning each one of these steps. So you want to talk about 
passages that teach us these six things and perversions that people have made in regards to each one of those teachings of the scriptures. Exactly. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com tonight. And uh, we look forward to your comments in the chat room as well. Now, the first objection that we will get when we talk about this is that you're teaching a works salvation. You give me a list of six things I must do, and yet I read in the passages like Ephesians chapter 2 that tell me that I don't have to do anything in order to be saved. So what in the world are you trying to pull off here? Okay, let's let's deal with that right up front. Okay. That there is something to do. And, and, and we can start the discussion, Jacob, by dealing with that passage that you just referenced. Ephesians 2, verse 8, beginning, says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Mm-hmm. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I notice you sort of just slipped right over verse 9, not of works. We're not well, saved by works. I read it. In but fact, you just sort of went through fat. You didn't pay well, attention to it. Well, I think actually it. that's You ignored the, it. No, I think that's actually the verse that explains it. Oh. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. In mm-hmm. other words, there are no works that we can do that, that are of such a nature that I could boast of my salvation based upon merit. Look at me. Look what I've done. I deserve to go to heaven. I deserve to be saved. And, and there are no works that I can boast about. And so I believe that the works he's saying were not saved by works of merit. We're not saved by works of merit. We're saved by God's grace uh, through faith. Uh, But the very next verse after verse 9 goes on to say that there are works, there are good works, and God has ordained that we should walk in them. So it's not that there are no works to do. It's that uh, this verse is saying there are no works by which. By which you could earn your salvation. So you're teaching what Ephesians chapter two teaches is that you can't earn your salvation. Exactly, and and we should we should really stress that nothing that we will say tonight about things a person must do would accumulate to the point where a person could say, "I've earned it." Okay, it's, it's uh, God. God is obligated right. now. Yeah. He must save me because of everything that I have done. Okay. You know, Jacob, the, the old story is told of of this person who was nearing death. And the preacher went to call upon them, and the, this person said, I just wonder if I've done enough. No, it's the question is, have I done enough to go to heaven? Basically, the question is, have I earned my salvation? Yeah. The answer is no. Yeah. For everybody, I don't care who you are, no, you have not done enough to earn salvation. Right. It's going to be by grace through faith that we go to heaven. We've got to, we got to make sure we remember that. It's yeah. easy for us to follow the traveling that you've got to do, you know, you've got to earn your salvation, and, and simply you do not. But you must be obedient, and uh, we'll talk about that on the program tonight. Anybody in the scriptures we could look to that uh, was told that they had to do certain things? I mean, is this a foreign concept? Are you perverting the scriptures by saying there, that you've got to do some things? I mean, you clearly can't earn your salvation, but are there certain things that we must do? Well, we could go back to the very first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I think most of our listeners are well familiar with Acts 2. Peter and the apostles stood up in Jerusalem. There's a huge assembled crowd of people. It was a Jewish feast day. And there were many, many uh, commentators think there may have been as many as a million people in Jerusalem on that day. Mm -hmm. Lots of them gathered around and saw the miraculous sign of the apostles speaking in tongues. And it provided them a huge audience. And they preached the gospel. Peter's sermon is recorded there. At the end of his sermon, they were convicted of, of the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, and they crucified him. Uh, he con- Peter concluded his sermon, Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, while a lot of people in the modern religious world would answer to that question with well, there's nothing to do. You, you, have, you, you ignorant people. You don't have to do anything. Don't you know? God's that? done it all. Yeah. You just just accept it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you'll, just, you'll just get this feeling. You'll be fine. That's not the answer, though, that was given. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here were some people who were pricked in their heart. They'd been convicted. They were convinced. They mm-hmm. were believers. Right. Oh, but yeah, there, they were. But there was something they had to do. Okay. So there's one example. I think we can multiply the examples along that line. We might go to Saul of Tarsus, who would be the Apostle Paul, and the familiar 
episode on the road to Damascus right. in Acts chapter 9. Uh, it says, Acts 9, verse 3, As Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, again, if we stopped right there, a lot of people say, Well, you don't have to do anything, Paul. You now believe that Jesus is the Lord. You, in fact, you just called him Lord. Right. And so a lot of people would answer that, No, not, nothing you have to do. But the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Some things he must do. Yeah. And we'll talk more about maybe some of the things he was told he had to do. It included baptism, by the way, Acts twenty two sixteen. There are a lot of denominations who would have told uh, Jesus that he had it all wrong there on the yeah. road to Damascus. Jesus, what in the world are you thinking telling that Paul that he has to do why, why didn't you He'd just be earning uh, a salvation for crying out loud. Why didn't you just tell him it's okay now? You're a yeah. believer now. It's yeah. okay. Just accept yeah. it. Yeah, don't you know God's Jesus? done it all. Yeah. Just take advantage of it. Yeah. And then one more example of, the, of this must-do terminology is in Acts 16. You remember Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi. They get arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. At midnight, there was a great earthquake. The prison doors were opened. The, the, the prison keeper, the jailer, thought that all of his prisoners had escaped. He was going to commit suicide because he knew his life would be taken if his prisoners were escaped. And... Uh, but Paul, it says, verse 28, Acts 16, 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. There's nothing you have to do. Yeah. I mean, obviously now you're convinced. The very fact, I think the fact that he looked up Paul and Silas came to them. He had heard them singing songs at yeah. midnight. He came to them and asked, what must I do? Paul and Silas did not say, don't worry about it. It's okay now. Just accept Jesus. You're a believer. It's all done. Yeah. No, it says, uh, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus with all thine house. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straight away. They taught him he needed to be baptized. So important was that baptism. They did it in the same hour of the night. So Paul didn't understand what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2. If uh, if that was the case, it, uh, he should have, oh, no. Yeah, that's You're kind of interesting. of works. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because some people would have Paul against Paul there. Right. They'd have him here saying, don't have to do anything. Or rather in Ephesians 2 saying, you don't have to do anything. But here he told the Philippian jailer there was something to do. Mm. So our main point, what we're stressing right here, is there's something to do. Yeah. And anybody who says there's nothing to do is is wrong about that. All right. Let's we, see what we got in the chat room. We Jay. want to hear from you in the chat room tonight, uh, especially if on the phone if you've got something you'd like to comment with us tonight. Lane says, a good thought to remember when studying this subject is knowing the Savior himself and knowing exactly how it is that we have the opportunity to be saved. It is so cool to learn about Christ, his life, and the ultimate sacrifice the Holy Lamb made. Amen to that, Lane. We appreciate those comments. Lane also says, what is faith? Through faith. What is faith? Romans 10, verse 17 says, faith comes from the Word. And James 2 is a little depth uh, description of faith and what goes hand-in-hand with faith. Thank you, Lane. We'll talk about that as we go along. Dave adds, without works, faith is not yet living. But dead, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, tells us that we are saved as a result of our faith. When we're baptized, it is through our faith in the working of God. When? At the point of baptism, because that is God's plan. All right. Sosthenes says uh, one very good point is to go back to Acts 19, 1 through 5 and see how the Ephesians actually were saved. We find out they were actually baptized twice. Then we need to, all we need to do is go to Mark 16, verse 15 and 16. Notice that baptism... Immersion in water is part of the salvation process. That's interesting. Uh, I, I think it's a Ephesians. real good observation, Sosthenes. Uh, uh, so we're reading Ephesians 2. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of works, lest any man should boast. So how did the Ephesians understand that? Well, what did they do? Well, let's go back to Acts. In Acts 19, we know that when Paul came to Ephesus, he found some men who had been baptized with John's baptism, didn't know about the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. When they learned that, they were baptized again. So we know they were baptized. 
<laughs> so, you know, the Ephesians themselves didn't take it to, that there was nothing to do. That's a good point. Good point. I don't know. I've heard that one before. Lane adds uh, Romans 6, verses 3 through 4, buried into his death and raised within to walk in newness of life. We'll talk about baptism as the program goes along. Dave says, by the way, believing in and accepting Jesus is not enough. John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us that when we have done that, we have the right to become children of God. If we have the right to become, we are not there yet. You know, that's, that's I think, an excellent point. Notice that context. It says, John 1, verse 12, But as many as re- received him, talking about Jesus, he came to his own, his own received him not, verse 11, talking about Jesus, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If I have the power to do something, doesn't mean I've done it yet. Right. And, you know, I have the power to vote. Right. But i still got to do it. Yeah. Just because I have that right or power or opportunity doesn't mean that I exercise it. I've got to exercise it. And that's what that's what that text is saying. Good points. we got to take a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. We need to talk about those six steps that you mentioned earlier in the program tonight. We want to talk about each one of those and show that they are true, in fact, from the Scriptures, and we want to look at some perversions that people have made to those clear teachings of the scriptures. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And if you're not in the chat room, now's the time to get in during this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. George Washington said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favors. We can stand affliction better than we can stand prosperity, for in prosperity we forget God. Man, I wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. The chat room has crashed. Nobody's in it right now. Maybe... Uh, oh, you think we? You well, think we're we, still up. I, I, I think we're still in there. There's one other viewer in there, but uh, oh well, maybe they'll come back if you uh, maybe you want to refresh yeah, you, your you page. You think our chat rooms uh, provider? Uh, I don't know. Had a blip. Well, no, mine came no, up. No, they weren't faithful to us. Uh, so there you go. Um, now, let me ask you the question. You say there's six things to do. Where can I turn in the scriptures to find that list of six things I need? To do? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, someone might say. You say there's six things. Do show me one passage where all of those six things that you mentioned. Again, remember we said hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully. Yep. Show, please show me one place in the scripture where all those things uh, are listed in a single passage. And, of course, we wouldn't be able to answer that challenge. But we don't have to. Okay, because explain it, that. Because if we can put together all the pieces from various teaching of Scripture. In other words, we, we want to get the, the whole picture. We want to... We, and now, I want to back up just a minute. Some of the cases of conversion in the book of Acts, I think you can come... I mean, I, I think an open-minded person could see all of these things in some of those cases of conversion. But to have them spelled out... Explicitly. Explicitly uh, is not so. But when we put together all the information, then it's easy enough to understand what we're supposed to do. You could ask someone could give you the same challenge about the things we do in worship. You know, where does it say? Find me one place in the Scripture where it says that you're supposed to take up a collection in the same passage where it says you're supposed to teach and preach in the, in the assembly. I don't think right. you can do that. But we we when we put together all the pieces of information, get the whole big picture, and put it together, we see clearly 
what we're supposed same to do. Same thing we do, as you said, with other subjects, uh, biblical subjects, same thing we do in regular, in our normal everyday life. We'd want to take every instruction and put them together to find out what You know, Jacob, we're coming up, we're, we're in the middle of tax season, for instance. Right. You know, and so if I read one publication from the IRS, can I just go forward with that with that information and then fill out my taxes and send it in? When they call me up to audit me, I say, well, I'm looking at this publication. It doesn't mention what you're right. talking about. Right. They say, it doesn't matter. You need to get all right. the information. Right. Or maybe you're cooking something that uh, you're going to bake a cake, and the, and the cake has the recipe on it, but uh, you'd also have to reference the the instructions of the oven to know how to get the oven set right, and, and how so you would you would put these things together as the scriptures uh, expect us to do on every uh, biblical subject. Well, we talked about six things that we must do. As you said, it's not a foreign concept from the scriptures to say we must do things in order to be saved. People throughout time have asked that question, and the answers to those questions were not ridiculing in the New Testament. When did not say there's nothing that you're supposed to do. There are six things we believe that the Scriptures teach us to do in order to be saved. First of those being here. We've got to hear the Word. Uh, Romans 10.17. Uh, Anthony mentions Romans 10.17. Jeff mentions Romans 10.17. And Jeff, you also referenced another passage. Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But Jeff, you referenced another passage, Acts 15. Yes, I did. Uh, in Acts 15, verses 6 through 8. Now, mindful that Acts 15, that's when the council was meeting at Jerusalem. It was to discuss what, about uh, circumcision because there was a problem among the Gentiles about this subject. But especially in verse 7, it reads, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the earlier days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Ooh, interesting passage there. That, Good uh, job, Jeff. I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. Was, oh, there was always... Just behind the controls, by the way. That's where that voice is coming. Find one example of a person who became a Christian in the New Testament. And actually, if you look at the book of Acts, we've got the recorded history of thousands of people who became Christians in the first century. Not just a handful. we got we got thousands of cases of conversions referenced in the book of Acts. Find one who became a Christian without being taught first. He had They had to be taught. They had to hear... Uh, uh, let's see, uh, Anthony says, Faith is something we gain by hearing God's will through his word, either written or spoken by teachers, not God himself. The greater religious world often simply leaves this step out, jumping straight to believe. I think that's true. Bill in Texas, New Brunfels, Texas, says, uh, he references Jeremiah 10.23, It is not within man to direct his own steps. So the message has to come from an exterior source, not subject to personal feelings. Mm-hmm. You are called, according to the gospel, by the word of God. Uh, he references Second Timothy 1. I'm going to go to that. Second Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9, where we read, uh, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He- which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I would have to add to that uh, also Second Thessalonians 2.14. He called you by our gospel yes. to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you got to hear the gospel. Romans 1.16, the gospel of Christ is the power of God and to salvation. Right. So uh, he mentions, I think this is very important, God will not appear to you in some miraculous ways. Miracles have ceased. God is not revealing himself or his word to anyone, including the Pope, in a continuing state of revelation. The man of God is completely furnished with his word. We do not need any further revelation from God. I think it's exactly right. Now, Jacob, how often do we hear people uh, said, well, I had this experience. Yeah. This happened, and I knew God was speaking to me. I knew that, that he wanted me, uh, uh, you know, to come to him or to be his child or you know i i knew i was saved based upon this experience Came to me in my I, bedroom i saw a bright yeah, light yeah uh and, and through the years i've talked to people who really put tremendous amounts of confidence in those i've always referred to them as better felt than told experiences you know when you try to tell a story like that it doesn't come across too good but they they, they just well, if you, you just know it had to it, be there you had to be there. if you if you experienced what i experienced you'd know for sure yeah. that it was real right if you felt the, the feeling that came yeah. over me and then and then it, it usually followed by some great peace and release that they felt because of what they've experienced 
Have you ever talked to someone who had experience like that and, uh, and Jesus or God, whoever it was, that came to them, told them that they needed to be baptized, for instance? Has anybody ever told yeah, you that? Yeah. God showed up in my bedroom and he said, you need to be baptized. You need to repent. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I never had anybody. Yeah. You know, the, God never tells them when he supposedly appears in person, he never tells them what he told us in the Word. Yeah. And that that's a really good point, Jacob. I think you're exactly right. Um, again, it's not going to happen that way. Actually, if it happened that way, I would argue that it would make God a respecter of persons. Right. Why did why did he, why did he show up in your bedroom? Yeah. He hasn't shown What's up in my on? bedroom. Yeah. But in Acts chapter ten, verse thirty four, when Peter went to preach to the house of Cornelius, it says Peter opened his mouth and said, "Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Right. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness. By the way, there's the word oh, work. Yeah. He that worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think those are good points from Bill in Texas. Uh, and that probably that does a good job covering. Now, Jeff, you made the point. I think that we'll get to a little bit more as well. But one of the things that because a person has to be taught before they can be saved, they have to be taught before they can believe. That would rule out infant baptism, right? Infants can't be taught and believe, therefore they couldn't be subject to this plan. Yes. Right. Yes. Good point. Um, I think the reason they do that, though, is you know. Passages like Acts 16, where it talks about whole households, both in Acts 16, and I also think I saw one in Acts 18. Yeah, yeah uh, with the household of Lydia, the, the household of the Philippian jailer, and the household of, you mentioned Acts 18, the household of Cornelius or uh, Crispus rather. I want to tell you, I have always thought, you know, because I've I've studied with people who make this argument. For instance, we referenced earlier Acts 16, the Philippian jailer. It says, they spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. It says all of his were baptized that night. Now, in any given household, there could be infants. There might have been infants, they say, in in the Philippian jailer's household. But, actually, the context rules that out, because the previous verse said that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. Everybody in that house could be taught, mm-hmm. and they responded in obedience and they were baptized. But that household baptism thing is a common argument. It doesn't work. Uh, it, it, before anybody can be saved, they've got to be of such an age that they can hear and understand what they hear. They have to be taught. Now, of course, what about a person who who, who can't hear, who can't who can't logically assimilate the facts that are being delivered, Jacob? You know, it could be that somebody's too young. The, an infant, for instance, can't hear and assimilate the information. Maybe a person who is mentally challenged can't hear and assimilate that information. Well, in those cases, those people are are not in need of salvation. They're safe because they're not accountable under those conditions. I think the infant baptism doctrine uh, came out uh, about, I think, primarily because of the uh, idea of inherited sin, total depravity. Uh, you don't want to have Junior, uh, you know, go through all of his childhood as a poor, terrible, miserable sinner with all of Adam's sin that he has inherited, and so you got to do something about that, and you need to you need to go ahead and baptize him to get those sins off of his record, according to uh, that doctrine. Real quickly, let's take the next step. Let's let's start. I don't think we'll get this covered, but the next step, so based now upon get, we need to get to the chat room. Dave okay, says, okay. "How can you believe in something you don't know about? How can you know about something you never hear about?" A good thing to say. You know, that sounds like Romans 10. Yeah, 10. Uh, it says, uh, uh, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, verse 13, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Yep. So, very good. Uh, Josiah says, A uh, good thing to note is that God paid the price. Who are we to change that? He paid the price, and he calls the shots. And so, can't to go monkeying with the instructions he's given us. Dave said, Peter also told his Jewish brethren in Acts 11 that he brought uh, Cornelius words whereby he might be saved. Therefore, hearing the word is necessary for salvation. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot there in that case of Cornelius. You know, was he saved before he was baptized? Well, no, because he hadn't heard the words yet. Right. He had to hear the words before he was baptized. Right. Okay. All right. That takes care of the first step. And, yeah, we and we're, up to, we're up to oh, break down. Well. Let's, take, let's take our... our 
midway break. And when we come back, we're going to have to hurry on and talk about we got five more steps in the plan of salvation. We've just talked about one so far. Okay, we'll hurry on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There seems to be a natural tendency to concentrate on negative things and to overlook positive ones. In particular, we tend to deliberate more on the faults and failings of others and to ignore the good things they are doing. This is especially true in the Lord's Church. In fact, we are often more negative and critical of our brethren than we are toward complete strangers. As we deal with our brethren, it's necessary to deal with every problem that arises. We dare not try to sweep under the rug anything that violates what Paul called the pattern of sound words in 2 Timothy 1 verse 13. To do so would itself demonstrate a lack of love. But while maintaining a careful eye for anything that misses the mark, we should also look for opportunities to commend and praise one another. Barnabas, for example, earned his nickname by being one known for encouragement which he offered to his brethren. See Acts 4, verses 36 and following. When writing to the church at Corinth, Paul had to deal with many problems that existed there. Strong words of rebuke were needed in addressing the issues among these brethren. But despite these negatives, the apostle did not fail to commend their good qualities with expressions like, I thank my God always on your behalf, chapter 1, verse 4, and I praise you, brethren, that you remember me, chapter 11, verse 2. It is obvious that deserved praise was an important aspect of the message to that church. We all should do some self-examination to see if we have failed in these matters. Are we constantly negative? Are we quick to complain but slow to offer praise? Is our focus on criticism rather than commendation? As a very simple test, ask yourself these questions. When was the last time you offered a word of praise to a brother or sister in Christ? As compared to, when was the last time you complained about something a fellow Christian was doing? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we are back, and we will remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Here in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and worship with us at any opportunity you may have. Find out more about our meeting times and location by visiting our website. We're talking about the plan of salvation and what the Scripture clearly teaches about what we must do in order to be saved. Yeah, I think, Jacob, you made, you put a post in the chat room. I think we might be having some chat room problems. We had a we had a hiccup, and suddenly we've lost, uh, at least we're, we're losing the accountability of a number of people who were in there. Uh, so we may not be getting, you may, you may not be seeing all the posts. We may not be seeing all your posts in the chat room. We've never had that problem before. We've had really good service from this provider, so I don't know what happened there, so we'll see. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, so we talked about we, you have to hear, you have to be taught. Yeah. Based on what you've been taught, you have to believe. That's the second step. You've got to believe. Uh, uh, Bill in Texas says, uh, uh, believe. My friend, look around you. See his creation. It speaks an international language. We are without excuse to not believe in a creator, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Even the animal, animal life will tell you that he did this, Job 12, 7 through 9. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14, verse 1. If you earnestly search for me, I will be found, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You have to believe. He references Mark 16, 16. Anthony mentions Mark 16, 16. Jeff mentions Mark 16, 16. Oh, we've got to continue. He that believeth and is baptized. I'll be saved. Dave in the chat room says, if belief is not necessary, we could drag people off the street kicking and screaming and, quote, unquote, baptize them for their, quote, unquote, salvation. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, no, in other words, a person has to be taught and they have to accept what they've been taught. They have to believe it. And on that basis, then the following steps will pursue. But if a person didn't believe, for instance, we're going to talk in a minute about baptism. If a person didn't believe, they could be baptized a thousand times. It would have no effect to the saving of their soul. 
So everything we do has to be based upon the fact that we have learned and believed the things that are in the Word of God. All right. Dave references Hebrews verse 11, chapter 11, verse 6. It teaches us we cannot please God or come to Him if we do not have faith. Uh, yes, we, we must have faith if we want to be pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 teaches that. Uh, Anthony adds John 3.16 to his list and others. We can't obtain God's gift of salvation unless we believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Much error is taught around this point. When we see the baptism of infants who cannot possibly believe, we also see error in the notion of simple faith. Many denominations teach that the plan of salvation ends here and is with, with simply giving mental assent to the fact that God exists and Jesus was his son and died. It begins and ends there. Very sad. As a teen, I was exposed to this teaching, the very oft-added sinner's prayer twist. After a youth, after youth gathering, etc., someone would say, if you want to be saved, just say this prayer with us. So tragic. Yeah, and, and Jeff mentioned the same thing. A false doctrine along this line, Jeff, you mentioned faith only, believing that you need to say a sinner's prayer. I think you're right. Uh, in other words, we agree that you have to believe, but we're not saying that's all. And I think the big fallacy there is the so-called faith-only salvation, that you're saved by faith only. Now, if that were the case, we got we got recorded instances of a lot of people who would have been saved, but the Bible says they're not. For instance, in John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. John 12, 42 and 43. But if all you had to do is believe, then they would have been saved on that basis. They wouldn't have had to do any more than that. Uh, but here are people who believe but refuse to confess. Would you say they were saved? No, obviously not. Faith only won't save. All right. Uh, clearly it won't. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 19. If thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And uh, we read about some of those devils or demons who believed that uh, Jesus was the Son of God uh, throughout uh, the Scriptures. Uh, and uh, they're obviously not in a safe position. Well, you know, right there in James 2, Jacob, we often say the only place in the whole New Testament where the words faith only right. are found is in verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You're not justified by faith only. Verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So certainly you've got to believe, but you don't stop there. And I, the the big the big fallacy is that you could be saved by faith only. I think it's kind of curious, Jeff. You mentioned the sinner's prayer. If you're going to add to simple <laughs> faith that you have to say a prayer, right? Then I mean, what's any difference between that and anything else you might yeah. say? You know, no. Why why is the guy who says say the sinner's prayer? Why is he putting in? Why is he in any better condition than those of us who say? Yes, you must believe, but you also must be baptized. In other words, we're adding something to do after faith. Well, that guy who teaches the sinner's prayer, he's adding something to do after faith, too. Why not put what the Scriptures teach rather than your man-made inventions? In fact, I think Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 would condemn the adding of the man-made acts of, uh, of so-called salvation. Yeah. That, is, that would be a work of merit, where you come up with your own scheme of what you can do in order to be saved. Yeah. Uh, Dave in the chat room. Good point, Dave. He says, the sinner's prayer is very accurate. The one who prays this prayer is a sinner before and after because it doesn't save him. Uh, God does not hear the prayers of sinners. So I think, I think that's, I mean, that, those, isn't it amazing that the scriptures are so clear on that and yet people have corrupted it so badly? We've got to keep moving here, Jacob. We're going to run out of time. Let's take the next step and that is the step of repentance. Mm, okay. I've often taught, I really believe, that I think this is the hard part. And if anything is a work, this would be a work. This is this is the hardest thing yeah. that I think the Lord calls on us to do, and that is repent. Repentance is sorrow for past sins, but more than that, it's a turning away from sin. It's a, it's a, a change of heart that leads to a change in action. Uh, to say, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed, and... I'll do my very best not to do them anymore. With God's help, I'm going to change my life. Uh, that's not easy. Uh, that that in, in, in fact, you could cite a number of circumstances where it would be incredibly difficult to All take right. that step. 
All right, that's uh, that is is true. Uh, Bill says, uh, realize that you are uh, live in a secular world, world and your soul is abiding there. After hearing, you have to come to the realization that you are a sinner and separated from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Uh, Anthony references Acts 2, 38, Luke 13, verse 3. Clearly, we have to change and turn away from our past sins. This step is basically omitted in mainstream Christianity. Denominations teach the come-as-you-are theology along with the I'm okay, you're okay uh, idea. They confuse the fact that God loves everyone and is not willing that any should perish with the notion that they don't have to change or stop sinning. They envision God as a big teddy bear or a doting grandfather who would never expect them to do anything sacrificial or painful. Excellent comments. Right, right. You know, a good example of repentance, I think, Jacob's. we could cite so many instances in the New Testament, but look at 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. These Corinthians had been involved in all those sins, including uh, worshiping idols, committing fornication, being homosexuals, being drunkards, being thieves. Oh, no. that's okay. That's okay. God, they don't have to do anything. Well, especially, you know, my, my reference homosexual. What about homosexual? He doesn't have to do anything. Oh, God, God will accept him yeah, as he is. Yeah. He's born. God, God loves him. Right. And, he, and therefore, God will take him as he is. Right. Not according to this. Among the Corinthians, some had been homosexual, but they had stopped committing those sins. In other words, if I can continue to commit a sin like homosexuality, I don't have to repent of it. God will accept me. Then God will also accept me as I continue being a thief. Yeah. I'm a bank robber. That's what I do. Yeah. And God loves me. He, he'll just let me continue. Come as I am. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, a idol worshiper. Did the Corinthians who worshipped idols have to quit worshiping idols? Obviously they did. That's repentance. you got to turn from your sin. All right. You can't continue on in it. Okay. Anthony teaches, says this passage from Corinthians is one of the ones that really opened my eyes to the truth because the Methodist church I was attending was telling me basically that everyone is going to heaven. Yeah, and that one and that one says otherwise. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lane says, uh, uh, talks about Jeremiah. He says, the book is showing the unfaithfulness of Israel and Judah Yet they sought after God when great destruction came, they came their way, but it was not sincere. They still went back to harlotry and went after false God. No true repentance, I think, is what Lane is pointing out there in the case of the message from uh, Jeremiah. Well, my chat room just jumped. What yeah, Sosthenes, it says uh, it would do us good to read the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 2 instead of just reading verses 8 and 9. In Ephesians 2, verse 6, we're told the Ephesians were raised up, a reference to immersion in water, together to set in, uh, in Christ. Another place we are told how one comes together with him is in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. In the very same verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we are told that one is only in newness of life at baptism and not before. Yeah. All right. Very good. So we've talked about you got to hear, you got to believe, you got to repent. Real quickly, Jacob, before we get to this break, let's talk about confess. Uh, to me, I think confessing is maybe the easiest. I think repentance is the hardest Potentially, confession is the easiest thing God asks us to do. Well, for us, there are places in the world where it would not be easy to confess right. your, your faith in Jesus. In other words, you could be put, your life could be put at risk for confessing yep. that you believe Jesus is under God. It's not so here. I don't, I, and I don't want to overstate the case. For us, it's very easy to confess a faith in Jesus Christ. Some places, and it's in, in, in history, in lots of places, it's not been so. But for us, this is the easiest thing to do. Romans 10, verse 9, uh, Anthony mentions that. Uh, Jeff mentions uh, Romans 10, verse 9. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A verbal confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, Anthony adds, we must confess the lordship of Jesus. I've not really heard much error in this particular step other than the ones admitting it, uh, omitting it. Uh, Bill says the Ethiopian eunuch confessed that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. This was an influence from a person that was... Uh, this was an inference from a person that was added into the Lord's Church about uh, during apostolic times. I think we need to be careful here. Notice the confession of the eunuch. He did not confess by saying yes. The words were, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. My own personal belief is that these words have to come out of the heart and off the lips of the believer. I was baptized again when I was 68 years old. 
because I wanted these words to proceed from my mouth and come off of my lips. Okay, uh, I, I'm not I'm not on exactly the same page as Bill on the, in terms of a of a formula of words that have to be spoken. But I do believe it has to be a verbal confession. With the mouth, confession is made in salvation, Romans 10 says. I have had the experience a number of times when someone comes to be baptized and you ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they'll nod their head, yes. Uh-huh. And I've actually had to stop and say, I must hear it from your mouth. Do you believe yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God? It needs to be a verbal confession. Yeah, okay. Uh, right. Now, uh, as as I think Anthony said, maybe not a lot of error taught on that subject. One point of clarification, though, Jacob, and you mentioned this when we were talking before the program. Mm-hmm. Some people think that it means you got to confess your sins. This is not the confession of sins. We're not asking the alien sinner who comes to Christ to catalog all the sins he's committed his whole life long. Right. And so this is not confessing your sins in in the step of the plan of salvation. This is confessing faith in Jesus. Okay. Take a break, and we're going to go to the top of the hour. We're going to talk about baptism next and the responsibility we must have after that to live faithfully to the instructions that God has given us. Both of those are very controversial. I think uh, really getting to the heart of the controversy when we talk about what we must do in order to be saved. We'll talk about those on the other side. Stay with us. We continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The most common living arrangement in the United States today consists of unmarried people and no children, which made up one-third of all households in 1998, double the percentage in 1972. The traditional nuclear family, which consists of a married couple with children, made up just 26% of households in 1998, down from 45% in 1972. Those statistics are via national opinion research. The Word of God says in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about the plan of salvation and how the plan has been perverted by many in the religious world today. The next couple of steps are really where we get controversial, but we believe the scriptures teach very plainly that we must be baptized in order to be saved. Yeah, so here's our steps in the plan of salvation. Here, be taught. Number two, believe what you've been taught. Number three, repent of your sins. Number four, confess your faith in Jesus. And now, having done these prerequisites, a person should be baptized into Christ. We're not saying that baptism, Jacob, this should really got to be stressed. We're not saying that baptism is more important than any of the other steps that we've already studied. They are all essential without any one of them. It would be incomplete, and a person would not have, be in harmony with what God wants in their life. But having done those things, baptism we have to say baptism is also clearly an essential. It is necessary. It is, and it's uh, clear from very several passages. Uh, Jeff, your one passage you might use, what would it be, quickly? First uh, Peter 3.21. What does it to say? It says, um, there is an antitype that now saves us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. All right. Uh, Baptism does also now save us, the King James. 1 Peter 3.21. Anthony mentions Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Real interestingly there, we've studied Acts 2.38 a lot. It's a very important verse. So clear. If you have to repent in order to have the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. I think everybody agrees, or most people agree. We we talked earlier, some Some people say you can just come as you are. But most people say, if I'm a thief, I've got to quit thieving. If I'm a drunk, I gotta quit drinking. If I'm a murderer, I gotta quit murdering. If I'm an adulterer, I gotta quit committing adultery. If I have to repent, then I also have to be baptized because th- those two things are joined by the conjunction and. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Baptism is for, uh, the word there is 
ice, the Greek word is ice. Oh, well, that means because you already have your sins forgiven. No, it's, well, if that's the case, then I repent because I already have my sins oh, forgiven. that's true. It couldn't be so. I repent and I'm baptized. The word is unto or for the purpose of in order to achieve the remission of sins. Acts 2.38. If you want to know what that word for means, read Matthew 26, verse 28, where the same word is used for remission of sins. You'll find out it's not because of. It is in order to have the sins remitted. Matthew 26, verse 28. Mark 16, 16. Anthony mentions Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. you got to believe and be baptized to be saved. It doesn't say he that believeth is saved and should be baptized. It says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Belief and baptism precede salvation in Mark 16, 16. We've asked the question in the past on this program. If God wanted to tell you that you must be baptized in order to be saved, how would he have to say it other than Mark 16, verse 15 and 16? How, how, how could you say it plainer? Could you state it? Yeah. If, if, you have, don't have to, if you have to be baptized, how else could you put it in order for it to be clearer than that? Uh, Anthony goes on in his comments to say there's no single doctrine that is so clearly taught in the Scriptures. It's completely inescapable. Equally indisputable is the fact that baptism means immersion. Not only does the Greek word itself mean immersion, but without immersion, the beautiful imagery of burial and resurrection in Romans chapter 6 is utterly meaningless. The error on this subject is vast and and pervasive. Everything from the idea that it's not required for salvation or that salvation occurs beforehand to the idea that infants can be sprinkled with water and therefore baptized. All right. Well said. Well said, Anthony. And, uh, again, it is an immersion. The word means immersion. The imagery that it is to represent uh, means a burial. How else could it be if it was not immersion in water? Clearly, baptism is required in order to be saved. You know, uh, actually, Jacob, I, I think if you were to study church historians, all those who, who have studied the practices of Christians throughout the centuries. I don't know of a one that would argue that they did anything except immerse people in the in the early centuries of the church. And all agree that sprinkling and pouring is something that came along later. There's no argument that baptism as practiced in the early church and as recorded in the pages of our New Testament was immersion in water. There's just no doubt about that. And it is for the remission of sins. Uh, Bill in Texas says... Baptism is important because it puts you in contact with the blood of Christ. It washes your sins away. In baptism, you are baptized into his death and contact is made. Romans 6, 3 and 4, 1 Peter three twenty one, Mark 16, 15 and 16. I think you're exactly right, Bill. All right. Uh, and uh, Sosthenes in the chat room says, It would do us well to read Romans six sixteen through 18 and realize that to become a child of God, a Christian or righteous one, must obey that form of doctrine spoken of in verse 17. That doctrine was found in Romans 6, verses 3 through 6, where we read about baptism. And he references Romans 6, 16 through 18. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey the servant, his servant you are, and to whom you obey, whether to sin or uh, unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. So you must obey form of doctrine in order to be saved. Uh, Dave adds, salvation is a spiritual gift that is only found in Christ. Forgiveness of sins and redemption through his blood is only in Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27, and Romans chapter 6, verse 3 are the two verses that show us how to get into Christ, and those passages both reference baptism. Uh, Lane makes an observation I think is exactly right. He says there's not a single example of conversion in the book of Acts that does not have baptism as as an act of being saved. It's a direct command. Uh, it's time and time again taught. I think that's exactly right. Find one. Find one person in the book of Acts that was saved without being baptized. It cannot be done. All right. And, uh, J- uh, Jeff, you reference Acts chapter 8, verse 36 in the chat room. What does that passage say? Um, and it says, As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch says, Look, water, what prevent- prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe in with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. They they both had to get into the water. Uh, I think if you didn't have another passage, Jeff, that one would be enough to teach baptism was important. It also shows the necessity of it, because I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant to ride in a chariot with uh, wet clothes. To stop his trip. He had a long way to go to get home. He stopped 
his trip and made these uh, took these steps instead of Philip saying, you know, get home, rest up, find somebody to baptize you. No, they stopped right then, right there. It was essential for salvation. All right. Uh, real quickly, Acts twenty two sixteen, I think, is a powerful st- a verse. Paul is retelling his conversion mm-hmm. in Acts twenty two sixteen. He talks about, you know, he saw the Lord on the road. He believed on the road. He went into the city for three days. He prayed and fasted. A man named Ananias came to him and said to him, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was a believer, but he was still in his sins. He had to wash away his sins in baptism in order to be saved. All right. That is an important passage as well. Well, quickly, before the program is over, we could continue talking about this for a whole subject, a whole program, but we need to go on. There is something we must do after uh, baptism, and that is uh, really a very, uh, this is one of those exhaustive uh, statements. We need to live faithfully. Yeah, you got to live faithfully. You've become a Christian now. Your past sins are forgiven. You're in Christ. You're in the body of Christ. You have the hope of heaven. But you've got to stay faithful to the Lord. You've got to do His will. Uh, I see everybody who's re- replied here has replied with Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. To those persecuted Christians of the first century at the church in Smyrna, the Lord said, I know thy works, tribulation, and poverty. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews or not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Here's some persecuted Christians, and Jesus is saying, listen, you, you're already saved. Back off. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't go, get so Go crazy. undercover. Yeah. Don't, don't be so out there. You, you don't know, have to do that. Hide if you want. Deny me if you want to. Do whatever you want because you're already You shy. couldn't be lost if you wanted to be. Yeah. No, but in the face of that persecution, he said, be faithful unto death. Be faithful to the point of death. That's right. And I will give you a crown of life. And that transposes to us today if they had to be faithful up to the point of dying for uh, their convictions and for their actions. We must be faithful as well until the point of our death, whether it be by persecution or of natural causes. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see here. Anthony says, Revelation 2.10, We must strive to be fa- to live faithful and continually repent of and confess to and seek forgiveness of our sins in order to win the crown of life. Significant errors taught on this subject, of course, by those who claim that once you're saved, you cannot, again, become lost. I think... Uh, Anthony's exactly right. Once saved, always saved is the big false doctrine here. Yeah. That, you know, once you're saved, you don't have to worry about it after that. But, of course, that completely denies uh, so many plain statements of Scripture that teach us that we can be lost once we're saved. How much time we got, Jacob? Well, we're we almost out of time. Yeah, Jeff references Galatians 5, verse 4. Galatians 5, 4 says you can fall from grace. Right. You've got to be in grace. Yep. In order to fall from it, those who are in grace can fall from grace. I love Second Peter chapter two verses twenty through twenty-two that talks about the that's fact a gross that passage. It's gross. It talks about a sow returning to its wallowing in the mire, a dog returning to its own vomit. That's what it's like when a Christian falls away, becomes unfaithful, becomes entangled again in the world. And why would Paul take such pains to give us so many passages uh, telling us what we must do? He's worried about people he is uh, he is taught and who have been uh, obedient. He's worried that they would fall back in the world. He's even worried about himself that he would be a castaway. Yeah, First Corinthians nine. What is it? First Corinthians nine twenty seven. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What was he worried about? Yeah, why worry, Paul? Why he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Why is he so tore up? I mean, he's got it made. His ticket's punched. Yeah. Of course, obviously, we're, that's tongue-in-cheek. We're saying that's clearly not the case. And Paul knew, an inspired man knew he had to keep working. He had oh. to stay faithful. All right. But again, Jacob, we're out of time, but to stress, we've talked about the plan of salvation. What must I do to be saved? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully as a Christian. Do all of that, and you have not earned your salvation. Uh, we're not teaching a salvation by merit. We're saying that we're still, even, still even at that, to die. even at that, we're still much in need of God's grace and mercy. Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 10, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You haven't earned it. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, what if someone disagrees with what you've said tonight? We'd love to have them come on the program. 
Uh, we, you don't even have, but you don't have to come on the program. Send us an email. We could talk over email. We could talk by email. We talk by phone. But we we would invite. I mean, if if there's some preacher out there who wants to disagree with any point we've made in the lesson tonight, as we've studied together about the plan of salvation, we'll give you we'll give you airtime on the virtual Bible study. Come and show us where this is wrong. If it's wrong, we need to know it's wrong because this is what we're teaching people. You're not. You don't have any kind of. You don't have any ulterior motive by teaching this. No, exactly not. And, 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 and if you're, it's not, wrong, you're not opposed to changing if you're wrong. And if it can be proved wrong, I need to change. I need to personally, if, if I'm wrong, I need to personally change for my own salvation, and I need to start teaching differently for the sake of others. Are you being lobbied by any baptism manufacturer, baptismal manufacturers trying no. to get you to promote baptisms in absolutely, their business? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, well, I promise. Not. You're willing to You're willing to change. Yeah. All right. We'd like to hear from you. And again, we we, 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 we conduct our discussions with people who we disagree with in a very polite manner. We don't want to belittle anybody or make anyone uncomfortable. So if you're willing to come on and talk with us, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you just want to talk to us over email, you disagree with something you've heard, we'd love to have your comments as well. Well, it's been a good discussion, Dad. Thank I you think a very important discussion. Yes, it has. And Jeff's been behind the controls. Jeff, thank for your uh, work and for your comments tonight. We appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate you for being on the other end of the line tonight as well. We hope you make plans to be back here this time again next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.